everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Uh, joining us for this week's CIO Strategy Snapshot, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Jason, hope you had a nice weekend. Thank you again for dropping by Top of the Morning and looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, good morning, Danny. It was a, it was a nice long weekend uh, here in the Northeast. Great to have you back. So I do want to take a few moments here at the start to let our listeners, our clients know that our conversation will be tying into the Chief Investment Office's weekly regional view for the U.S. This was just authored by Salida Marcelli, Chief Investment Officer for the Americas, where CIO does revisit the macro outlook. And that's very timely, Jason, considering last week it was very busy on the macro front with the release of many key data points here in the U.S. that underwhelmed. Perhaps that was a product of the effects, impacts of the ongoing Omicron variant, the spread there. So, Jason, here at the start, can you summarize for us the data we received last week and how the Chief Investment Office is interpreting it? Well, we can classify the data into kind of more growth data and then the inflation data. And on the growth data, I think that the broad theme was that it all came in sort of below expectations, so it definitely showed signs of, of weakness. Um, you know, the biggest decline or disappointment was in the retail sales data that showed a real deceleration in uh, consumer spending, uh, it, particularly in December and later in December, uh, which could be related to Omicron impacting consumers wanting to, to go out to shop. It was also the case that spending was very strong in October and November, so people may have pulled forward some of their spending earlier into the quarter. Some of that might have been anticipation of you know, supply Problems, meaning your stores could be, you know, shelves could be you know, relatively empty, so people wanted to kind of get, you know, spending done early. So that might have been a bit of a head fake, and so there was a payback later in the quarter. Uh, but other data, whether it was on industrial production, uh, new unemployment claims, consumer, consumer sentiment, all were kind of a little bit disappointed, all kind of pulled back a little bit. And then this morning, you know, you know just a little while ago, we got uh, the New York Empire State Manufacturing Survey for January, and it felt its weakest level since May of, of 2020. Again, it's probably an indication of, of Omicron having both an impact and also like labor issues kind of really weighing on, you know, businesses of all sorts. So that was the, the kind of the the growth data. In some way, there's better news, um, although it may not look that way on the inflation front. Uh, the CPI uh, print for December came in on Wednesday. It was at 7%. So this is a 40-year high. Uh, but the, kind of what makes it sort of relatively good news is that it was at, at expectations. That was what, what the market was sort of anticipating. Uh, it was also kind of consistent with the view that inflation is either you know, peaked last month, might peak this month, but right around this range, you know, plus or minus a few tens. Uh, and then if you look at some of the underlying details, uh, we're starting to see at least on a month-over-month basis some clear moderation, which is kind of necessary for the thesis of inflation moderating this year to really materialize. We can see that on, on rents, which accelerated much last year, and now they're back to, on a month-over-month basis, increasing the same way they did you know, prior to the pandemic, which means later this year, that shelter component of inflation that you know, maybe will moderate a little bit. And I think that's true for other parts of, of, the, of the inflation details. So that's, in some sense, kind of good news. I think the market sort of you know, breathed a sigh of relief that it wasn't worse. But the overall picture from last week is that it was consistent with our view from the start of the year that data was going to get worse before it gets better. We knew the Omicron would have a negative impact on growth data. We've seen this from past waves. We saw it last summer with the Delta variant. So that wasn't, uh, you know, unexpected. Um, but at the same time, we also can see with the Omicron cases, there are appear to be peaking. I know, like, at least in New York City, uh, they've already rolled over probably other parts of the country where cases arrived early. It's already on the other side. 
the country overall might be like another week away from peaking. But we see in some of the European countries, like sort of the UK, I think France, it's already kind of rolled over. Uh, and so if that follows the path that has happened elsewhere, by early February, the case counts should, you know, decline dramatically. And that should allow economic activity to sort of, you know, kind of reaccelerate. So if we think about where we are today versus where we're likely to be at the end of the quarter, the macro picture, you know, could and probably should be better uh, in terms of growth, showing signs of kind of picking up again and, and the downturn of inflation starting to become more apparent. A bit of an encouraging outlook there when you consider the type of data points, the data, how that's been coming in recently, how it's been showing up. Just singling out inflation data for a few moments, you did make mention, Jason, that inflation, it reached a 40-year high, and that was quite eye-opening, and it did receive a lot of response. Now, over the weekend, this was interesting. We did see that hedge fund investor Bill Ackman of Pershing Square, he tweeted that the Fed should shock and awe the market hiking 50 basis points in March to regain its credibility. So what are your thoughts on that approach, Jason? Does the chief investment office think that approach is necessary? Well, you know, the whole kind of issue of Fed credibility is somewhat subjective uh, because, you know, some someone could say it's lacking credibility on inflation. It's behind the curve. Others could say differently. Uh, I think the one way to look at it is like, what is the market actually pricing? What is the bond market specifically saying in terms of the inflation's ability to, or the Fed's ability to you know, combat inflation? And if you look at the data and look at market pricing, it's not really suggestive of a credibility problem. Uh, inflation expectations, you know, rose last year, market implied inflation expectations, but they've been coming down, especially over the past couple of months, as the Fed has become sort of more hawkish in its rhetoric. It's pulled forward when it's going to start rate hiking. Uh, it's kind of caught up where the market maybe thought it, it should be. So if we look at various measures of where the market saying inflation will be in five years or 10 years uh, after this sort of surge is, is done kind of over the next year or two, they're back to where they were like in sort of 2018. Uh, and they're not even at the levels that they were, you know, kind of prior to roughly 2013, 24 time period. Um, you know, it's one measure that I think the Fed uses, like a five-year, five-year forward measure. It's at 2.4%, uh, which is not sort of extreme at all. Uh, and so if you look at collectively what the bond market is saying, it's not actually that worried about inflation long term. It is warm, almost more worried about growth uh, because in terms of how much rate hikes it's, it's kind of pricing in for the future. And anytime the Fed sort of gets a tough run, it's rhetoric. We see inflation expectations pull back. We've also seen the yield curve, at least year-to-date, steepen out a little bit. Uh, and even this morning, uh, you know, rates have risen at the 10-year point, so the curve has steepened. If the market was really thinking the Fed was making sort of a policy or went after, you know, really tight and aggressively, that could, you know, trigger a recession. You'd see maybe the 10-year actually declining, the yield curve would flatten. The fact that it's actually steepening suggests, you know, the, the market is reasonably confident with the Fed's ability to deal with inflation, uh, and then you know, growth will be end up being okay overall. So the idea of a credibility problem—that's just not at least what the bond market is telling us. If you kind of collectively look at these, um, you know, kind of the data. So I don't think the Fed needs to sort of shock and awe the market to regain its credibility. I think it's already kind of you know, kind of reestablished that to some extent. Now whether that's the right policy and whether maybe they should do a 50 basis point hike as soon as March because it is behind the curve and they might as well move forward. I think that's a different question and maybe one that will be you know discussed in, in you know the days and coming weeks until we get there. But I think for the credibility perspective, I think that's not really sort of the case. I think the Fed has got still decent credibility with investors. So Bill Ackman was not the only high profile investor to chime in. Others think the Fed could hike more than four times this year. Uh, thinking specifically about Jamie Dimon's comment, chief executive officer of J.P. Morgan Chase, Jamie Dimon suggested that the Fed could hike seven times. Now, is that possible, Jason? And what is the chief investment office's expectations for the Fed this year? Well, to actually get seven hikes would mean basically one hike per every meeting because they won't hike in, in January like next week because the market is certainly not prepared for it. And I think they still have to 
you know, stop tapering their bond purchases. After that, it basically means either a hike every single meeting because there's seven more meetings or maybe there's a 50 basis point hike in one meeting. To actually get that, uh, to me, it either means things are going really, really well or they're going really bad. And the really bad is that inflation is still really elevated. It's not sort of showing signs of coming down. Uh, that you know, the Fed really has to be very aggressive to try and bring it under control and do so quickly. If that happens, that's not a good outcome for the economy, and certainly it's sort of not what the markets are expecting. Um, I think that would be you know a challenging environment. If it is more of a you know high inflation, but also growth is really strong, the labor market just looks tight, and the Fed feels comfortable that they can raise rates and get back to sort of a neutral policy by year end. I think that's a better scenario. It's still one that the market's not priced for. So to make that transition, it will be certainly lead to more volatility, probably more you know, pullbacks in equities. But ultimately, it's one that the, the economy and the market's going to handle in that scenario. But I think either one would be, you know, certainly a little bit to cut the markets by surprise and would be you know, challenging. Where CIO right now is kind of sitting is, you know, we think kind of three or four hikes is, is likely and that they will start to do you know, balance sheet reduction in the second half of this year. I think a March hike is at this point, certainly more, far more likely than not. Uh, and I think a couple of hikes, you know, fairly soon is, is also likely. But I think what the issue for the Fed is that it's clear it wants to get started as soon as possible with withdrawing accommodation with tightening policy. The amount that it does thereafter will be outcome dependent. So if inflation stays sticky, they maybe they go even more than three or four times. Um, if inflation starts to moderate and, and growth starts to slow, maybe they end up only doing, you know, three hikes and balance sheet reduction is more moderate. So I think it's, they want to be, as flexible as possible, depending on the outcome, uh, which is probably the right policy path. But for investors, it means we're all kind of beholden to somewhat to the data. And therefore, what does the Fed do in respond to the data? That means sort of more uncertainty, more volatility. Uh, and so I think the range of outcomes is pretty wide. I think what we're sort of looking at is more of a, you know, kind of a, a median type of outcome. But there is a possibility of extremes at either end. And, and maybe they, you know, end up only hiking a couple times because growth really slows more maturely than they anticipate. That's also a downside possibility. So with that economic and Fed outlook in mind, that of the Chief Investment Office, Jason, can you shed some light for us on what your conversations with clients consist of when it comes to the positioning of their portfolios? Well, first, I think people should kind of, you know, put the context of the current data in perspective. So look kind of through some of the noise. So going back to the first question, that things will get better. And if you take a, you know, kind of a big picture view of like how things are going to go up throughout this year, we still have an economy that's likely to grow three or four percent. Unemployment's very low. Consumer, you know, spending is strong and consumer balance sheet is strong. All that's a positive. The same thing with inflation is it will moderate throughout the year. Uh, and likewise, on the policy front, all this talk about how much the Fed should tighten. I mean, the market's already doing a lot of the heavy lifting pricing in these hikes. So if the Fed just meets expectations, interest rates will kind of stay where they are or drift a little bit higher throughout the year. So a big part of the movement in rates has probably already happened. Um, you know, if we're looking at, you know, 2% by kind of the end of the quarter, you know, we're more than halfway there, given with the tenure at over, you know, 1.8%, even just this morning. So that's one thing, kind of look through the noise and kind of take the bigger picture perspective. The second is that because of this noise, there's going to be more volatility. We're going to see markets kind of shifting around a lot. It's not good to be overly tactical uh, because we don't know when suddenly a data point is going to start to improve and the narrative could change very quickly from either being more pessimistic to something more optimistic. So again, I think it's sort of, you know, taking a little bit of a medium term view is helpful in that case. And our medium term view is still very much that it's a good environment. It's a good cyclical growth environment. Equities have, you know, more upside. Uh, and you know, tilting more towards those that benefit from you know kind of reaccelerating growth in the U.S. But globally, so things like energy and financials, which have been doing well, financials should benefit from higher rates, from value stocks, 
Um, you know, outside of the U.S., you know, we've seen Eurozone equities, Japanese equities actually hold up better than, than U.S. equities. The drag on U.S. markets right now, you know, essentially is the, the, the payback for this large performance we've seen of, of a large mega cap growth stocks and mega cap tech. They're the ones that are being hit hard. Again, they're hit, being hit hard this morning because they've grown to be so big and it's such a big part of the, the U.S. equity market. U.S. markets at an index level, a broad market level will struggle to some extent because of that. But beneath the surface, you can see this clear rotation. So it's important to be able to kind of take advantage of that and make sure you're rebalanced accordingly from that. It also means that other markets, other regions, which don't have that kind of you know, headwind or overhang of large growth stocks could also benefit from it. Uh, and then I think you should also be prepared for rates continue to rise on the fixed income space, which is why we tend to be kind of more shorter duration, like senior loans, to some, as that would benefit from at least be relative outperforming rising rates. And we like commodities because we think you know, growth will still be strong and supply constraints means that you know, oil prices, you know, metal prices could continue to go higher uh, as the economy recovers. And that also provides a bit of an inflation hedge, and we've seen them perform quite well this year. So the playbook we've had entering this year, we think it's still valid, you know, but you know, be prepared for certainly some choppiness in the near term. Well, Jason, very productive conversation to begin the week. So thank you for dropping by top of the morning to reflect on what recent data has been telling us. There was a lot there to unpack. Helpful as well to hear about CIO's macro outlook as well and how to position accordingly in anticipation of what the road ahead might have in store. So Jason, thank you again for dropping by and wish you a great week ahead. You're welcome and have a great week. Thank you, Jason. And again, today we've been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located up on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including, of course, the publication which Jason has been making reference to during our conversation this morning, uh, that being the CIO Weekly Regional View for the U.S. So for clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of that piece directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 